listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Rexel, what a pass to Anders. A team follow. Doyle branch fires, he converts. Rhymes again. Of Charlotte. Oh, it's Pull up three in transition for Angela Harris. Jerome says not tonight, not in Houston. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Slam and Jamming presented by Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Andy Honest, and I've covered the University of Houston Athletics beat for the past two years as a part of the Daily Cougar, now transitioning over to covering them for Apollo Media. And I'm also a full-time reporter for a community impact newspaper covering the city of Pearland. And we are back here for another episode of PSJ. I'll throw it over to my other host. Dayon, take it away. Hey, and what's up? I'm Dayon Dunlap, your second host of Podsnamma Jam. I've been covering UA sports since for the last five years. I'm currently the color commentator for all of the home games for UH women's basketball. I'm going to be doing some play-by-play for some soccer and volleyball this upcoming season as well. You can follow me at Dayon Dunlap. That's at D-A-Y-O-N-D-U-N-L-A-P. But before you do that, also be sure to follow the official Apollo Media account. That's at Apollo H-O-U, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We will greatly appreciate it. Dayon, you got a, a lot of stuff going. Speaking of Houston soccer, they're, they're kicking off today that we're recording this on the 19th uh, against Oklahoma at the Carl Lewis International Complex. So that's a... Uh, Already underway. We're already officially underway the 2021-22 season. But I digress. We got a, another jam-packed show here for Pots Nine Jamma where we're talking a little bit about football, a little bit about men's basketball and the summer league wrapping up uh, this past week. But we'll get right into it with the University of Houston Cougars defense. Now only about two weeks, two weeks from Saturday, for their season opener at NRG Stadium against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Dayon, you were at Wednesday's availability for head coach, for a defensive coordinator and associate head coach of the University of Houston football team, Doug Belk. Dayon, we had we got a clip queued up, but real quickly, what were your over, overall takeaways from Doug Belk's availability on Wednesday? Well, my overall take from um, the availability was Really just a, a sense of depth. Coach Bell talked a lot about having depth in a lot of key positions, and I think that's vital. If they could just continue to recruit well and really just develop talent and build depth and having talent depth in key spots and a lot of players that have playing experience, whether it be um, at a different school or playing for UA. So he talked a lot about depth. That was the main thing. I've taken away, and also he talked about just the players buying in for what the coaching staff is leading. So, year three, a lot of players have gone and come, and now this kind of staff kind of feel like they have the players who have bought into the message that their the coaching staff has been putting out. And one key quote that took out me, he talked about competition. He said, "Competition breeds success." He said they've been preaching that. What were your takeaways? I know you always had the ability to play it back. Yeah, like we've mentioned in last week's episode, it kind of is a similar thing where it's it's a unified message coming off from that team. And competition, competition, you mentioned it as something they are stressing out, not just in specific matchups. I know one of the matchups that Doug Belt talked about was Marcus Jones against Nathaniel Dell. Um, and, but even O-line, defensive line, he mentioned about how it's a battle every day in practice, just overall the competing standpoint, even with the linebackers and running backs, the University of Houston football team has kind of talked about how this training camp has been different, not only in terms of competition, but they've yet, he still said that they have yet to hit one of those walls in training camp. They have practiced uh, about two weeks in, which is pretty impressive. If, you know, you with, from what we've been told from the coaches and players, but like I mentioned, we have this clip queued up of Doug Belk from Wednesday's availability 
Here he is talking about the sense of urgency that is another one of the themes that the University of Houston football team has stressed early on this season. For some of the players um, this year. You know, for, for us, it goes back to, um, you know, what you emphasize is what you're going to get. Um, so we made a huge emphasis on urgency. Uh, we made a huge em emphasis on there's no such thing as little things that everything that we do is important. And I think the players have, have bought in. And then you talk about guys like Clayton Toon, um, who's who's doing really well right now, leading our team, um, especially offensively. And then, you know, we got great leadership on defense between, you know, Deontay and Son Hippolyte, Donovan Mutant, um, Demarion Williams and Pepe. I mean, Demarion Williams and uh, Marcus Jones. And those guys are relaying those messages. And, you know, Coach Holgerson has had a plan. And, you know, a lot of people haven't believed in this plan. Some have, but the, the kids have really bought into what we're trying to do. Uh, we got a mature team. We got a lot of guys who play a lot of snaps. So having an urgency um, and teaching guys how to lead and and and, and uh, not having any negotiations on that. We call it negotiables and things that are non-negotiables. And we want those guys playing with high effort and have a high sense of urgency. So we've emphasized that, and I think that we're seeing it, and, and it's, and it's going to pay off for us. That was, once again, the defensive corner for the University of Houston football team. The sense of urgency, non-negotiables. Dayon, when you first listened to him respond to your question like that, what were your first kind of thoughts from what he told you? My initial thoughts were this. I started thinking about some of the players he was talking about, and he mentioned the likes of Deontay Anderson, Donovan Mutant. Both of those players have played a ton of snaps, and so – them developing into the right leadership. And like I said, how he mentioned how Coach Hoberson has had a plan. Some players didn't believe in that plan, but now that um, the players do, I think we're going to see a, a difference within the defense in its entirety of how they play together. And so uh, I'm really anxious, man. I think that was some some very good insight. You know, normally coaches kind of shy away of putting a sense of urgency or saying it out loud anyway, they kind of feel like they're going to take it a game, a game at a time. And now I try to just come in and kind of have that, you know, the normal quote. So, I mean, the normal cliche say this that I should say. And so I, I was very enlightened what he said. Yeah, for sure. What stood out for me was that point where he says, it goes back to what you emphasize. Obviously what you emphasize is what's going to end up coming back and where you're going to be able to show on the product uh, in this case, the football field. And like we've mentioned from day one, it has seemed like that's that's the message that's been relayed from the very top. Dana Hogerson has kind of said how this year is, is a big turning point for this program. And you can say like after the past two years that they've had, where they have combined the past two seasons, first two years, Dana Hogerson has been here. They've only won seven games total. Obviously, last year being heavily impacted by the COVID season, but even the year before that, his first, they only, they only won four games, and they're looking to turn the, the page a bit on this chapter of University of Houston football team and their program's history. Yeah, it's simple. The only way to do that is win. And so I think it is vital not only for the coaching staff, but some of the players as well, because – that just hindsight looking if this coaching staff doesn't this team doesn't have a good year, it could potentially lead to a, another coaching change with in essence kind of resets the program once again. So I think some of these players who have been through that are, are aware of that. Not only are the coaches aware of that. And so I think it's just a, a trickle-down effect all the way down to the team. And it just seems like they have the right players in the right positions and not only the depth, the depth, the depth. We keep hearing about the depth, but when you have good quality talent depth like they have, then it's it's on the right that they put it together. And just look at the last couple of years from the defensive line. U of H is one of the few schools who've put out a first round in the defensive line with the latest being um, Peyton Turner went to the Saints. We all know Ed Oliver who went um, before him. And so – We've been able to breathe talent, and he talked a lot about Logan Hall. If we can get some dominance up front, I like their chances. Yeah, you mentioned the front for the defensive line of the University of Houston football. Not only did he talk about specific players, where it's, you know, like you mentioned, Logan Hall, but he kind of said the strength in numbers is 
been key for this teeth uh, for this defense, specifically in terms of the defensive line. Not only did he mention that they are playing much more physical, that's something that they've changed their defensive scheme to be a lot more aggressive. Was another thing that he said from Wednesday's availability. But also, he feels like they have a solid ten to twelve man rotation up front. Down when you heard that, how big is it to be deep at that position? Obviously, with when it comes to the defensive line. They're going at it through the course of a full football game. Obviously, the more deep you are, the much better you can keep putting fresh guys in when the offensive line isn't going to be substituting as often as you can with the defensive line. And if you're 10 to 12 deep, that's a big bonus for the defense. Yes, a huge bonus, especially with a style of offenses that most teams run. They run that high, um, fast-paced offense, whereas – most likely no holder trying to get as many plays in as possible before the defense is allowed to substitute. And like you said, and the offense line doesn't substitute. So if you have 10 able bodies who you can get in and out and, and, and compete, I mean, compete at a high level for you, then that's only going to help your team. And so if they have the chance to do that and create some one-on-one matchups and be aggressive, like you're saying, and create pressure without blitzing. They have two really good corners, shutdown corners, Pepe, Demarion Williams, and Marcus Jones. So if you can just put those two on the island, let your defense's line create having to keep them fresh, I think it's only going to bode well. And we're talking about some of the offense. You gave plays that we saw in that clip. It took Clayton Spoon as a leader. What do you feel like the next step from him as a leader as far as kind of leading the team? We talked about being consistent as a player. Entering his third year under Dana Hogerson's system, there's not – when it comes to him growing as a leader, I feel like, honestly, and you said uh, it's been different from what we said before, but honestly, I just think it's going out there and actually producing on a field at a consistent basis. That'll connect with him being the next step as a leader because I feel like he's shown – uh, especially last season with whenever he scrambles and he doesn't, uh, he always fights for the extra yard. He doesn't necessarily slide, which has been something that the, the coaching staff has tried to help him, try to get him to stop taking those big hits in years past. But when you're on the defense, when you're on the offense and you see your quarterback, you know, fighting for every inch, every yard, that, that's got to motivate you. So I feel like he's always had that characteristic of being a leader and I think, honestly, at this point, entering his third year under Hogerson's system, I'm pretty sure he's got a very good command of the offense. And that's something that Dana Hogerson talked about when I asked him in terms of that goal being uh, for Clayton Toon being consistent. And you know, Hogerson said the timing where a lot of guys has really improved. He's felt like the offense as a whole has never completed more deep balls at, uh, since he's been here at training camp. That's a sign where things are clicking. And honestly, that kind of, I know you say it, not to always go back to consistency, but honestly, I feel like that's, that's the thing he has to check before you can grow as a player. And I think that'll help him as a leader because when you got to grasp a command of the offense, I mean, there's not much you can do because you can tell everyone, you know, where everyone's supposed to be and you can, when your first option, second option isn't there, you can go to your third, fourth reads and cool, calm, and collected. That's what you can right. do with just knowing that offense. Right, right. Knowing the offense and you don't have to think. You can just react. Just go out there and play. You hear players mm-hmm. say that a lot when they're more comfortable. They can go out there and, and just play and react and do, do the things they know that they're supposed to do versus – actually really thinking about it, but just reacting and kind of letting it flow. So agree with you for sure on that. And one more point I wanted to add, I was at Sunday's practice that they had. They had about a 20-minute, 30-minute stretch that they allowed reporters to see. And they had this specific drill. I don't even know what was the drill, but they had this stretch where they kind of simulated a game atmosphere. They were piping in crowd noise through the loudspeakers. And they gave the offense four downs to just move the ball. And you could easily tell the difference between the first unit that was led by Clayton Toon. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't really as much confusion. Clayton Toon looked sharp. He was finding his targets. And it, it, every time Clayton Toon's offense was there, they would get to at least midfield before the four downs when the backup unit came in led by uh, quarterback Ike uh, uh, I don't want to butcher his last name, but you could tell the difference and, and just how struggling 
the offense was. It wasn't as crisp. Ike almost threw an interception. Actually, I think he did throw an interception where one of the safeties had a, a massive diving catch, a spectacular diving catch. But the offense was nowhere near crisp. They hardly couldn't move the ball at all. That was completely different from when Toon was leading that offense. And that's something that stood out to me where yeah, you can see that that development right there. He seems to know where he needs to go with the ball. And it was he never threw a ball that was close to being intercepted in that 20-minute stretch that we got to see. But, you know, I think that's that's positive when you can clearly tell the difference between the first unit and everyone else. Yeah, that offense is definitely going to need to make some explosive plays. And I can't wait to see Alton McCaskill. Uh, each player and each coach is all rave about him as a freshman, just his stature and just the way he plays the game. So he's like a four-star recruit on think, 24-7, if I'm not mistaken, coming out. I know stars and recruits, all of that really doesn't matter at time to time. But we hear a lot of good things about him. I'm anxious to see him actually go out there and play in college. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just just goes to show they're deep in almost every position, except, you know, Dana Horvison has said wide receiver is probably the position where they lack that depth. But even then, they have a young player in Nathaniel Bell that they're really high on. Yeah. And we got to talk about the points of having a balanced attack as well. Because we know the air rate is most likely a passing, but with Mobile Car coming back, he's a electrifying running back who gets those tough nine yards running downhill. But they got a couple of playmakers like we just mentioned, Alton McCaskill, and a transfer who came over to Texas Tech, Tayshon Henry, who's electrifying. Mm-hmm. We heard about um, Chandler, who's a senior. So I'm looking forward to that running back room as well. If they can help maybe take some of the load off of Clayton Tune and get some yards and have an effect on the offense as well. I think that'd be huge. Yeah, for sure. And, and, he, and that just goes to show how deep this. Um, the, the coaches are raved about because another position group that Doug Belt shouted out from the offense was the tight end group. He called this particular tight end group for the University of Houston football team special. And obviously they're led by their junior Christian Trahan, who I mean, last year in limited, uh, limited playing time, he showed the connection he has with quarterback Clayton Toon. So get another year under their belt, the duo, it'll be another great uh, spot for Clayton Toon and that duo to be able to, find themselves and do damage, not only in the red zone, where obviously the bigger target you are, the much better it is, but even making explosive plays down the field, like you mentioned, and when Dana Horvison loves to push the pace uh, across the, not push the pace, in the basketball, but he likes to push um, a test defense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With that air yeah, raid offense. Right. And I want to see if they want some two tight ends, because you mentioned how you saw Clayton connect with Sabine, and that was the transfer tight end who came over from Minnesota. From what I'm hearing, he's an explosive athlete. He's 6'4", 240. They said he can move a lot like a receiver, so I wonder if we may see some two tight end sets or if they rotate the two of them because Tristan Trahan, um, he's shown that he can be a good threat over the middle, so I want to see what definitely what they get from the tight end spot, but even if they go one, that's, that's still depth. It goes into what They've been preaching and what Coach Beckham was saying, having depth in just about every position. Coming right up on Pod Slime and Jamma, we go more in depth into the defensive side of the ball. The players that have stood out, the Doug Belt shouted out during his Wednesday availability, coming right up on Pod Slime and Jamma, your home for UH Athletics. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU. All Houston. All original. Just continuing our talk here, talking about football and like Andy just mentioned, we're going to get into some of the players that um, defensive coordinator Doug Bell talked about. And one of those is Logan Hall. He's been getting... A lot of notoriety of recent was on the senior ball watch list, if I'm not mistaken. And one quote during that availability, Coach Bill, I talked about, he said that he learned a lot from Peyton Turner as far as what it meant to come out there and play, what it like, what it, to play at a high level. And so he learned just the preparation of what it's like to play at that level. And he said they also had similar body temps, tall, lanky kids who can play in multiple positions. And he went 6'6", 275. And he said he pretty much can play that all four 
spots on the defensive line. He can rush from outside with his length and his speed, and he has enough strength and power to rush from inside. So I'm excited to see what Logan Hall is. We want to see if he can continue this tradition of the good defensive line that Houston has had over the last few years. Yeah, for sure. That was another thing that stood out to me when he talked about the influence that Peyton Turner had on him. He called Logan Hall a unique guy. And, and just looking at um, what Doug Belt said, he said he's been impressed with Hall's development and, and he expects big things from him. And obviously last year he had a, a pretty good 2020 season considering um, how shortened it was. And of course he had to play and, and limited appearances. He made seven starts. Uh, for the University of Houston football team last year, recorded 23 tackles and had a sack throughout the season. But now with how Doug Belt has raved about him, it'll be interesting to see if he, he it, you know, when Peyton Turner was on the field, you could always see, you could always, he would always make his impact known throughout the game, whether it's, you know, a play here or whenever he would be pressuring the quarterback. I'm interested to see if you, that's the next step for Hall where, I mean, three, five plays a game, you'll notice that he's on the field and that he's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, but it's also about creating those one-on-one matchups to not allow teams to focus in on him and lock in and trying to take him away. So you need other players on the outside like David Nini to get home and some of the other players like Derek Parrish and Alexander Duke and the other pass rushers that they'll have to get home. But I'm expecting in the big year from Logan Hall. I, I like his stature. I like his versatility. I think they're going to bowl well, but uh, to me, just on the, looking on the outside, looking in, the two returning players, the strength is going to be on the back end. I know that Deontay Anderson said that he feels like the defense is going to be the strength, strength of the team, but I feel like those two bookend cornerbacks with Demarion, Demarion Williams and, and um, Marcus Jones and just look at some of the names that uh, Coach Doug Belk been around in his time. He was in time in Alabama. He's seen some of the top talent. Landon Collins, who plays safety there. Cyrus Jones, who played in the NFL. Eddie Jackson, who's still playing for the Bears. Mika Fitzpatrick. Uh, Humphrey, who's playing in Baltimore. Marlon Humphrey's playing in Baltimore right now. And he used the worries of Marcus Jones being special. And some of the names who I just mentioned have shown that they are special at the NFL level. So if Jones and um, Demarion Williams can have big years, I think it's really only going to bow well because you know how much teams like to pass it right now. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Deontay Anderson. That was another player that Doug Belt raved about and, and kind of being in a similar position as Grant Stewart was a season ago, making your transition from safety to a linebacker and Doug Bell said that Deontay's accepted that challenge and honestly he seems that he's he's, he's fit in that role uh really well and something that caught my ear was he said that they had been it's something they'd been messing around with since last season just in terms of personnel they had at times there wasn't we couldn't see more of Deontay Anderson in that linebacker spot but Regarding Anderson specifically, what do you see or what do you expect to see from him in that linebacker role full-time? I expect to see him showing his athletic ability, a lot of sideline plays. He already has the size and the strength of bowl well as far as to be able to tackle well in that box. But I think it's about him just getting used to playing with his pad level low, beating some of those blocks. And other than that, I think he's going to flash at that position. I think he's going to have a really good year. He has a track background, so he knows he's fast and has the sideline ability to chase down some of the running backs and tight ends and things of that nature. But coach, like Coach Bell mentioned, he's been used to covering receivers primarily his entire life and his entire collegiate career. Now he's asked to cover running backs at the backfield, tight ends, and those things I think that he can do really well. And so I'm expecting a dynamic tandem from Deontay Anderson and and Donovan Mutant, and he raved about Donovan Mutant, how, how much he's helped him as far as just from a preparation standpoint, studying the game, watching film technique-wise. So I think Deontay goes by D-Train. is going to have a big year, man, at linebacker. I'm excited to see him. So he, he mentioned a couple of other players. What other players do you think is going to have a, a big year on the defense? 
yeah, transitioning over to the safeties group, Dan, I know you, you asked Doug Bell about this, but, you know, Belk said how the safety group is a lot of veterans and they're a lot more defined. They know exactly what to expect from this defense. And it's something, a message that not only Belk has said, but even Dana Horwitzson is a much more veteran type of team. They've been here a while. They know what to expect from the coaches. And one of the players that he mentioned was Hassan Hippolyte. And he called him the leader of the safeties group. And kind of similar things to the defensive line. He said that this group has strength in numbers and just in terms of how really dynamic they are and experienced. Uh, Dayon, what did you take away from what he told you about the safeties group? Yeah, he really raved about Hassan Hippolyte, about his leadership. He definitely said he stood out and kind of secured their starting spot in one of the safeties positions. So, I mean, he's a player who has experience, transferred over from Colorado, was from Houston, went to high High school, so Houston is home. Coming back home, made five starts at safety last year. Finished with around thirty tackles, seventeen solo. But he raved about his leadership, and so when he talked about their depth, like other players, like Gleason Sprewell, who has um, tremendous experience and made a lot of plays. He talked about Vaughn and a couple of players who played in the back end. So uh, I want to actually see over the time which other players can kind of stand out in practice and solidify that other starting spot because just from hearing him talk, I'm not sure if he has named it or if they're another a starter outside of Hudson Hippolyte. But I think I think the secondary, that safety position is definitely more important position as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, another player that he shouted out during Wednesday's availability was Manny Nunnery. He called him a freak of nature. And, you know, when you hear defensive coaches call people freaks of nature, and especially at this level where, honestly, everyone's kind of a freak of nature, but especially at that linebacker position, you know, what can you kind of expect from Nunnery after he had a, a solid 2020 season, uh, only made one start, but he had an appearance this he had an appearance in all eight of Houston's games last year and had 11 solo tackles. So, Dayon, what do you expect from Manny Nunnery? Another one of the players where Doug Bell has been high on and kind of expects him to make that next jump in his second season. Technically, still a freshman, but um, he's had the college game experience under his belt. Yeah, he's one of those just natural football players. You hear like, that term thrown around, just a freak of nature. And just what I'm seeing from him last year, he's one of those players that's just natural. He, the game just comes easy to him. He flies around, makes has good, really good instincts. He's another Houston kick, one from played at Shadow Creek. And learning behind Deontay Anderson and Donovan Mutant, and then having that depth of players who's flashing like many memory, I'm expecting a, a big year for the entire linebacker core of the defense can really just string together some stops and play really well. I feel like the offense can do. They have the, the talent. We hear a lot about Tank Dell. I want to see what other receivers step up. But just that defense, the names they were hearing, the talent that they have, and Nunnery, I think he's definitely the, the future position, the future at that linebacker spot for sure. You mentioned the receivers group. Obviously, honestly, the one receiver that we talked about the most is Tank Dell. But uh, a similar position where Dana Hogerson called it a bit thin, but they do have some experienced players. Obviously, the first player that comes to mind is Bryson Smith, who's been with the program a while. Also, Jeremy Singleton had a couple of plays for the Cougars just last season. But when you look across the board at that receiver position, there are honestly a lot of new players, whether it be that they're freshmen or if they're transferring over from another school. Dan, when it comes to a position group that's not as deep when you look at some of these other groups, whether it be at linebacker, at safety. What do you think is the big, the biggest thing that they have to catch on to 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 not be behind to everyone else and not be a, a weakness for this offense? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if, it, if they're not deep. It's just they haven't had any people who made themselves known, any household names. So it's a lot of new faces for people – and really just opportunity for players to make their mark. Jeremy Singleton has flashed, but he's been – he was basically overshadowed with Marquez Stevenson. And so 
I, I think a lot of people are presuming Tank Dell is going to step right into that position as far as more of electrifying, making those electrifying plays like Speedy did. But um, Singleton, he has the talent. A lot of players I know they recruited is still in the freshman year. Dylan Robinson is a freshman receiver. KJ Gildry is a freshman receiver. We got a lot of sophomores and juniors. It's really about which receiver, other receiver outside of Tank Dell, Singleton is going to have his opportunities. You know, also you mentioned Bryson Smith. He has flashed as well. But which players is really going to step up and make themselves a household name to her where okay, we know we got Tank, but we also have a viable threat outside of him. And so I think they got the names. They got the talent. Most of these players are most likely the best player on their team in high school. It's just about working hard and putting it all together and getting those opportunities. Speaking of opportunity, we saw a lot of former Cougars basketball players have really good showings in the summer league. Coming right up, we'll continue on the pod slam pajama. This time, we're going back to the hall. We're discussing some of the summer leagues. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And we're back on Pod Jamma for our third and final segment. And once again, we go back to our origins for this final segment and go and talk about Hoops basketball. We are joined by our third co-host for this segment, Justin Barbosa, who actually got a chance to be in Las Vegas for uh, one game and a, a couple, a quarter, I would say, <laughs> one minute, one game and change of uh, a couple of summer league games that included three University of Houston Cougar alumni. He got to see uh, the tail end of the Miami Heat against the Dallas Mavericks in which Dejon Giroux and Nate Henson faced off. And then he also got to see the final Houston Rockets summer league game in which Armani Brooks, who was just two, his second game after um, being delayed for much of summer league due to health and safety protocols with COVID um, and chose the perfect game to watch as he exploded for 30 points and nine three-pointers. Justin, how are you doing, man? How are you? Man, been pretty good. Uh, pretty tired since I got in about a couple hours ago, but overall pretty good. Man, definitely some good summer league action the last uh, last couple of days ago. Yeah, man, you 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 got you got to taste a little bit of that uh, beat reporter life, <laughs> just getting to <laughs> experience. And um, like I said, like if for those of you that don't follow us on Twitter, you should at Pod the Channel, like you see it in the title of this podcast. But Justin got to tweet out a couple of kind of updates from Las Vegas. And I'll start with the Rockets game since you you saw all of that game. But Armani Brooks, 30 points. From your perspective, what, what did you see? How explosive was it for when Armani Brooks just caught fire? Was it a quick burst or could you see it throughout the game? What were your takeaways? Really to say about it, Armani Brooks was pretty much the Rockets offense in the first quarter. He had uh, 12 of the Rockets, 18 points in the first quarter. Uh, made I think that he made their first three shots for the first nine points. And uh, he was just really that guy on the floor, really creating and also just shooting from the dribble behind the perimeter. And uh, so, yeah, he started the game for the Rockets. He had their first nine points, and it was that way for a little while because they were down as much by – 23 to nine in the first for Armani started to heat up again, got the Rockets within eight, 23 to 15, having 12 of their first 15 points. And then it was finally another rocket scored. It was Justin Anderson to make it 25 to 18 then the first quarter. And then uh, they really do too much in the second quarter, had the pretty much rest most of that quarter since he went off in that first quarter. But once it got to the second half, Saw Armani started to heat up again from three, and 27 out of his 30 points were all from the three-point line. So he only had, only had like one mid-range jumper going to the basket with the free throw. But all of all of his offense from uh, his 30 points, all from the three-point line just about. And uh, once he got down to the final stretch, they were down as much by 13 in the fourth. 
And then there was our guy, Armani Brooks, in that last minute hit the clutch three to put the Rockets ahead. And then Josh Christopher made the two free throws, which would ultimately win the game. And then the huge block by Usman Garuba. What was the atmosphere like when – this is a two-part question. When Armani not only was making those shots and they was coming back, and then the second part of that live, what was it like as far as the team? Were they looking to get Armani in the basketball – or was it a lot of him just kind of posting up and just not get down those open shots? They actually ran a lot of plays for Armani. He had a, yeah, they had guys screening to get him open to the three-point line. That was actually, I think, one of the plays on the play at the last minute of the fourth quarter. I think Usman Garuba set a screen, and then it was Armani running to the left side of the perimeter, and he knocked down that three. And they were also trying to run a play for him at the end of halftime. Fortunately, Portland defended that well on the inbound, so Armani couldn't get the ball. But they did run a lot of plays for him to get wide open for the open three. Yeah, Justin, what I was going to ask, I mean, just from watching Armani, what his body type, do you see him? Is he a little bit bigger? Does he still look like he did a season ago? And what was his defense like? Was he a lot? Was he a more physical player? Or what did you see from him from the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I haven't really couldn't really tell from last season, but he still, you know, looks like the same, you know, tall and lanky Armani. But uh defensive wise, he was pretty active. And there was a couple of times, you know, he was a mismatch playing it up against Michael Beasley. Uh, Beasley posted up on him and uh made a couple of shots due to his height as a mismatch. But he, I saw him a little bit more aggressive defensively. Definitely trying to improve better on one on one. Real quickly for both of you, I got, I wanted to read out the stats from the four UH alums that played at the Summer League. And I'll start with Armani Brooks, who is kind of the uh, leader of the of the four, considering um, he's been in the NBA system the longest. But, you know, like I mentioned, he, he struggled his first game back after that long pause due to the health and safety protocols. Turned around and had that 30-point game, ended up averaging 17.5 points and four rebounds. Off those two games, obviously, the big one, the 30-point, Nate Hinton for the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, struggled a bit early in the summer league, kind of got more in gear as the, the games went on, but he averaged 7.8 points and six rebounds along with almost four assists for Dallas. And then we get into the new, the two new players for UH in the NBA system. Dejan Giroux for the Miami Heat averaged nearly 12 points a game with about six and a half rebounds, 5.8 steals. I know Dejan will talk a little bit more about him in a bit. Honestly, he was kind of a stat sheet, a stat sheet stuffer during his time in the summer league. He had almost a triple-double twice, and he ended up with a double-double in one of the games. Then, of course, Quentin Grimes, who went 25th overall in the 2021 NBA draft after another slow start. Couldn't seem like he could buy a basket in the first few games, but it got into rhythm as the summer league closed, and he had strong games to finish out. His summer league performance ended up averaging 15 points a game. Same thing, nearly six rebounds and about three assists per contest. You know, when I read out those stat lines, the thing that comes, that pops out for me, obviously the points for Armani and Quinton, but all four of them have... Honestly, they got significant rebounds for guards, especially when you look at Nate, Dejon, and Quentin. They all had at least six rebounds, and most of them were north of that. Um, that just goes to show the UH culture. But Dejon, Justin, I'll let you guys take it away. Um, when it comes to just looking at what they did over on the summer league, what did you see from any one of these four players in the summer league? Well, what, what stood out to me was Nate hidden as far as his size. He – he stood out. He has a what they call NBA size, but he looked big compared to a lot of players, especially on position. Really, with the, his size and the way he he looked out on the floor, but just from the play from all of the players that really did what they did at Houston, all of them really did that well. So from Dejan Giroux, who played really well, excelled in that pick-and-roll action, able to penetrate the defense and make the correct pass and really just create for his teammates. Shot just under 40% from the three, but he showed that ability to create his own shot and knock down and stand still shot. Then Quentin was just aggressive, like you said, and he missed a lot of shots early, but 
stayed aggressive, taking those shots, and eventually those shots would fall. And like Coach Sampson said, his defense was something that he was able to translate over really easy. And he, a few clips from him that was broken down on Twitter and different social media from Garden Cade Cunningham. And so you're just seeing that defense from him. And um, who am I missing? Oh, Armani. We were just talking about Armani. Yeah, yeah, we were just talking about Armani. And he was going to call himself Sniper Brooks for a reason. So he was doing that. But the main thing that stood out to me was Nate Hinton. Also from Nate Hinton, another thing that was he was playing a lot on the ball. A lot of ball handling ability, a lot of creating. That's something he really didn't do at all at Houston. So to see his transformation as far as skill-wise now being confident and being capable of initiating the offense, getting into those pick-and-roll actions, not only creating for himself, creating his own shot, which is something he didn't do a lot of at Houston, but creating from others. And so I think his next step just being more consistent, knocking down that three, he's always going to be a lockdown defender for sure. Yeah, Dayon, I couldn't have said it any better myself, but when it talked regarding Nate Hinton, I mean, you you pretty much hit all the checkpoints from what stood out to me and watching him. Like you mentioned, his ball handling is something that he told me when he first uh, signed that two-way with the Dallas Mavericks last fall was that's something that he wanted to showcase throughout the whole draft process. And uh, as his career has progressed, obviously didn't get a chance to play a ton last year just in terms of the G League bubble. He was on a two-way, but he only got to play seven games in the G League and spent much of his time with the Dallas Mavericks. And honestly, of course, didn't see the floor much for them during the regular season. But here in the summer, like I mentioned, uh, honestly, kind of similar to Quentin where he got off to a slow start. But like you said, he got the opportunity to showcase those different skills that he hasn't been able to honestly put on tape, at least not in a real live game setting at this type of level since he's been in the NBA, just in terms of the circumstances that he played in. One player I did want to focus on was Dejan Giroux because uh, I want to share a report that I we saw earlier from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, who is in tune with what's going on in South Florida. But according to him, he said that the Heat, Miami Heat have conveyed interest in signing undrafted Houston guard Dejan Giroux, who – Impressed in the summer league, I'm, I'm reading his tweet verbatim, but hasn't conveyed whether Miami will offer a two-year deal or an Exhibit 10 deal, which um, after doing some research research on it, um, is kind of a, a bit of a non-guarantee type of deal where Miami Heat would sign him for the whole year, but there is no, no bonuses, no guarantees that he would last throughout the season. Uh, could eventually get converted into a two-way, but I remember when before the NBA draft, um, or not before, the day after the NBA draft when Kelvin Sampson talked to reporters, um, he mentioned how how high the Miami Heat were on Dejan DeRoe and how they were seriously considering buying a second-round pick to draft Dejan. From what I've heard from Kelvin and what he was able to put on tape at the Summer League, and not only that, but battling injury, he didn't get to play during the first few games in the Miami Heat Summer League where they were part of the in Sacramento, part of that California Challenge Summer League that they had. Uh, I think what Dejan showed is the most impressive. Like I said, he was kind of the stat sheet stuffer throughout his time in the Summer League because he he had a double-double and he almost twice in those games he had a near triple-double. Um, talking more about Dejan specifically, uh, Dejan, Justin, what stood out to you guys about Dejan? And Justin, I'll let you go first. Yeah, Dejan, I mean, really uh, put a lot on the stat sheet, but – what I noticed throughout the summer league is uh, he started to get a little bit more comfortable with the shot, but really down the more games the Heat played, he became the Miami's primary ball handler. Mm-hmm. And actually in that last minute of that Mavs game, he was actually leading the way for the Heat and tried to go for the game-winning layup attempt, but unfortunately it was blocked at the buzzer. But I think we saw Miami – uh, see his leadership skills and uh, what he can do on the floor. I mean, defensively and on rebounds or either scoring or playmaking. I mean, I mean, Miami had to be really high on to pick him up and then uh, offer him that kind of deal going into next season. I mean, that's just, you know, very high praise for Dejan. Yeah, really high praise. And I think he did really what I expected him to do as far as he, I knew the floor would open up. 
because in college there's a defense, no defense in three seconds. In the NBA, there is a defense in three seconds, and you can't just crack in. So in result, there's more floor space for players like him who create off the dribble, penetrate the defense, excelling pick and roll. And he had a good chemistry with their draft pick from last year. And just so it's just floor general, the way he's able to kind of play his own pace and dictate the pace of the game, make opportune shots, just do all the things that he did for Houston. It really bought well for him. I, I think he will earn one of those two-way contracts. And I look, I think he fits really well in that Miami Heat culture as well. Mm-hmm. And transitioning over to Quentin Grimes, uh, like I mentioned earlier, those two final games of the season of the summer league, and not the season, you're not to get too ahead of myself, but Quentin Grimes kind of showed um, not only like we mentioned with, with uh, Calvin Sanders said that the defense is going to be what he feels he was most ready for at the NBA level, but Quentin Grimes showed, I mean, honestly, for anyone that, that saw him for the past two years at Houston, it's not surprising, but he showed that he can score at an NBA level. Now, not to get too carried away, it is summer league, but like we've mentioned, when his shot is falling, I mean, that that kind of shows a little bit of what his ceiling could be if, if he's hitting his jumper consistently and he can defend. I mean, that's what the NBA front offices look for every single free agency when you're looking at the type of team that he's going to be going to. I'll be interested to see how much playing time he gets to see for the New York Knicks during the season. But he's certainly going to be able to have a chance to help them out if he has that shot falling. Dayon, I'll let you go first on Quentin. What did you see from Grimes this summer league? Yeah, I saw exactly why people, including myself, can make Clay Thompson a comparison. Because if he, those last two games, if he can make it at that clip consistently, then he can have a career similar to the likes of Clay Thompson. He can potentially develop into the, one of the best shooters of all time if he can make it at a high clip like Clay Thompson and some of the better shooters in their history has. And not only does Clay make it, he defends at a high rate as well. And so I think if he could just maintain that consistency, I think that's the difference between him being like an perennial all-star player or being a player like Danny Green who – um, contributes on a championship team on both sides of the floor is a really good player, but it's a difference between being an, an all-star and just being a really good piece and having a long tenure in the NBA. But either way, I think he will have a long career. I think he will be able to help the Knicks. I know they um, went and got Evan Fournier, but they lost Reggie Bullock. And just from defensively, Quinn, the way he competes his body, uh, I like what I've seen for him, man. Justin, what are your thoughts on Quentin? Yeah, I think he's going to have a nice career in the NBA. He's definitely going to be a nice 3 and D player for the Knicks, although they got a lot of depth going into uh, this season. But uh, I think he'll fill in right in off the bench, be a guy that can knock down a three-point shot or go to the basket and then get a defensive play on the other end. If he uh, remains confident, you know, I think he's going to be a really nice player, you know, many years in the NBA. Yeah, what I was going to say, I think it'll be interesting like we saw this summer league he got in, in a bit of a, a, a slow start early. And I think with a team like the Knicks and a head coach like Tom Thibodeau, I'm going to be curious to see how patient they are with him. Um, because like we saw in Houston, especially the first year he had here in Houston, sometimes Quentin will go on stretches where uh, he struggles to shoot the ball. But like uh, going back to what Kelvin Thompson said, if he can play defense consistently, that might help with the, the Knicks coaching staff and being more patient with him. I'm curious to see... Uh, just really what kind of rotation he, what kind of part in the rotation he is. Is he a 15 minute, 20 minute type of guy early? I, I'm not sure. I, from what we've seen from Tom Thibodeau, honestly, if he gets to have a certain stretch right off the bat, I'd be certainly um, surprised. But I'm curious to see how Quentin Grimes can pick up um, just the NBA game and, and his offensive consistency because I feel like that's going to determine how how much uh, playing time he sees, at least early on for the Knicks, in terms of how quickly he can get his shot, his shots to fall at a consistent basis at the next level. What say y'all? Yeah, man, you hit it right on the head. That's exactly what I want to see too. How much playing time he will earn, and especially early in his career, you know how coaches may not stick with their players, so. Let's say, for example, you have two or three or three or four DMPs in a row and doesn't play, and then he have a stretch or where he may play four or five minutes and 
because his shot's not falling or something like that. He falls from the rotation, but maintaining that confidence and staying locked in and ready, in which that's why I go back to him coming from Coach Sampson. I think that's going to help prepare him. And coaches like Quanis White, assistant coaches for Houston, all those um, players and coaches have helped develop him. I think that's why he'll bowl well, but I want to see how he'll handle that adversity. But from the adversity he faced coming from Kansas to Houston, then that mentality, that how it's changed. I think he's prepared for it, but I'm anxious to see how in his career kind of unfolds as far as his playing time and where it goes. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's going to do it for today's episode of Pod Time with Jamma. Justin, um, while you're here, we want to ask you, when it comes to UH football for wins over under, do you have the UH football team uh, let's put it at eight and a half. Do you see them with the schedule they had this season and it don't have to play Cincinnati, don't have to play UCF, their non-conference schedule has Texas Tech, Rice, uh, Grambling, and UConn. Do you see this season being a a nine-win or above season or less than that? I put the over-under at eight and a half. Would say you, Justin. Yeah, if I'm being realistic uh... – I want to see an eight and four season with a bowl win, a finish nine and four. But uh, I think, you know, go at least eight and four, you know, get that winning momentum back. But honestly, with the schedule they have, I mean, they need to obviously like at least win like nine in the regular season and finish, you know, around nine, ten wins with a bowl win. You know, eight, eight and four is going to be a minimum for me because if they only win six or seven games with, you know, as easy to schedule this is. Uh, I mean, that seat's going to be pretty hot for Dana Hogerson. And we're going yeah, conservative with you, Justin. But, yeah, that's something that Dayon and I have, have. We agree with you. We've said in the past that eight wins, honestly, should be the minimum when you look across the board and you look at the schedule, when you look at the non-conference games, even Texas Tech, which will be the opener, like I mentioned earlier, two weeks from Saturday. I mean, they're having their issues. Um, they're certainly not as – much of a threat they were a couple years back. Honestly, when you look at our conference and the way their conference schedule is shaking out, um, this certainly should be uh, at the very least. I agree, eight wins minimum. But if we're being real, if we're being realistic, realistic, this team should win at, at nine. And something that they have to prove it on the field. You can't get the benefit of the doubt. But we're going to leave it right there, and uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of Pod's Time at JAMA. So if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, please make sure to follow us on Twitter at Pod Slam at JAMA, just like you see it in the title of this podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. We're going to try to be uh, post a lot more updated UH content on that site. That's Pod Slam at JAMA on Twitter. Check us out. Also, be sure to follow Apollo HOU for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of Pod Slam Ajama covering your University of Houston Cougars. As always, go Cougs.